So this is the movie, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And this is Edmund who goes into this pond, this magic pond. And anything that goes in the water turns into gold. And you can see the, the desire that comes up in his eye that he could actually have power. He could be the richest person in the whole world. All of us has a little bit of that in our hearts. And so I want to begin our series today and just talk about that desire that we have. If you're here for the first time, we really welcome you to this place. I hope you feel what God is doing here. Even though on a rainy day like today, the power of the Spirit is here and there's warmth in this room. I also want to welcome those who are listening on podcast today. Uh, There's a particularly special person today listening from Chennai, India. In Chennai, India, they say namaskaram, which means God be with you. And that's what the Christians there say. How are you all doing? Uh, I'm just getting over Christmas Eve. I don't know about New Year's and all that, but my Christmas Eve went like this. Christmas Eve had a wonderful service, three services here, that, uh, one the night before, so we'd had four services, and I just wanted to go somewhere and relax and just, you know, take off a load. So I went up to Sacramento, and there in Sacramento, there were three dogs. Uh, there were four grandkids. There were four sets of couples, a surrogate grandmother and a parrot which was fine until the next day when I woke up and I had my coffee and I went down the stairs and I couldn't really see, but I was going through all the paper and my foot stepped in something really mushy and smelly. And I'm thinking, is this uh, some kind of a taffy situation that one of the kids got? No, apparently this was dog poop. I stepped in dog poop on Christmas morning in my parents' living room. I will never say that line, uh, figgy pudding, again, quite in the same way. Okay. So as soon as I got home from the dog poop thing, I came home and we did our receipts. Now, Star and I do our receipts to figure out how much we spent in December every single year. And I don't know about you, but every single year it's the same. We've been married for 10 years. Every year it's the same. We say we will not overspend on Christmas. We build an altar in the middle of the living room and we pour incense over it and we sing kumbaya and we slit our hands and we do a blood brother and blood sister thing. (laughs) We will not overspend on Christmas. And every year for 10 years now, 10 years, we always overspend on Christmas. So I got to thinking, what is this power in our hearts? What is this thing that makes us do things that we don't really want to do? And so I want to talk about that today in our first uh, message in our series called Money Matters. Today we're going to talk about the reality check of this power in all of our hearts. Now, a lot of times when churches talk about money, you're just sitting back going, when is it going to come? He's asking for money. There's going to be come. That's not what this series is about. I just want to lay that out right at the beginning. I want to show you where we're going in this series. Next week, we're going to talk about how to get out of financial trouble. If you know of someone in financial trouble, please invite them to that service. Next, the next week, we're going to talk about sticking with a plan. Uh, I'm not Susie Orman. I can't write a plan for you, but I will help you stick with whatever plan you guys put together. And then the final week, we're going to talk about the power of giving, and you're going to love that message. So I need a volunteer to begin this morning. Uh, how about you? I know you're missing Dale a lot, so your, your son. So let's, uh, let me just ask you, I'm going to have a quarter here, and I'm going to put it in my hand, and I want you to choose the hand that my quarter is in, and if you choose the correct hand, you get to keep this quarter. Now, how much do you need this quarter? Uh, not at all. Okay, all right, just checking. All right, now, which hand is this quarter in? Right Oh, there you go. Nice job. Give her a hand. Thanks for playing. <laughs> All right, now I have a $10 bill here. 
And sir, you've got a Highland sweatshirt on. Would you help me out with this? You get to keep this $10 if you choose the correct hand that this $10 is in, okay? Now, I'm not going to show you which hand it is, and I'm really bad at this game because anyone, <laughs> three-year-old, but which hand do I have? You're right about that one. Here you are, sir. Here is $10. Thanks for playing. Nice catch. Okay, I have a $100 bill here. No, 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 I don't. I don't. Now, you notice that the more money I am playing with, the more laughter there is in this room, right? What's that about? That's about this power that this stuff called money has in our lives. And whether we want to admit it or not, it just has this force in our souls. So what I want to try to do this morning before we begin is try to unpack, where does that come from? You know, a lot of people don't realize that that didn't always exist in this country. We haven't always been like this. And so let me just uh, show you, a lot of people think about this question about money in these terms, especially in terms of this country. The country began in 1776 or somewhere thereabout, and today we're in the year 2011. And let's take a look at this trend. Now, some people begin to say that the This love of money began, of course, in the Garden of Eden, right? It began when Adam and Eve were looking for something that they could put their hands on, that they could worship, they could have in their lives, the created rather than the creator. And then it carries on through the worship of Baal, you know, the calf that was made of gold. What was it about that? It was the gold that was exciting. Now, in our country, as we saw from that graph, if we can go back to that real quick, we haven't always had this desire for money. We began as what we might call an agrarian society. Uh, this is, let's look at the previous one. We're going to look at this in a second. The previous one is the, is the love of money. And some people have suggested that in the year 2011, this love of money has increased a lot in America. Uh, Just look at the advertisements. Anybody see Gap advertisement this last year? One word. One word. Want. And then it has a subtitle, What Do You Want This Holiday? It's almost tapping into that Garden of Eden desire stuff. Another advertisement, uh, Mercedes-Benz had this advertisement. One Mercedes-Benz is not enough. You know, I always thought so. You know, I I don't even have one. but, But just wrap your mind around that. Uh, there's another advertisement that came out, this, this uh, taking off on Descartes, I think, therefore I am. This was when I shop, therefore I am. And maybe they're not so far wrong in our society today. So the first force we're going to take a look at uh, this year as we look at this power is this, this desire for money. But that's not the only thing going on. Uh, another thing that's going on is the wealth that the United States is experiencing. You know, you may not know this or feel like this right now, but you are the richest country in the world. If you're on welfare today, if you're on Medicare or Medi-Cal, you are wealthier than 99% of the world's population. You and I are the wealthiest. And we'll talk about how we don't feel like we have any money right now, and a lot of us don't. But we are. You know, if you put all the world's population into a room, and they represented each of them, uh, say, a million billion people, Only one of those people would represent an American. We're about 300 million people, one out of 100, and that one person would have 90% of the world's wealth. That means that 99, or uh, about 90% of the world's, 10% of the world's wealth goes in the rest of the 99 hands out there. We are the wealthiest, no matter who you are in this country, and that's just a reality. It may not be something we feel that much, but we are very wealthy. 
Now, the third part is the part that you and I are feeling right now. That is this sense that we have less money right now than we may have ever had to spend. A lot of you have gone through foreclosures and other difficulties in your life. And you only have to read the newspaper to see this stuff. Anybody see the newspaper this last week? Every day it's the same. Gas prices may reach $4 a gallon. Great, just what I need. Here, down here at the bottom, Brown's budget to include deep cuts, tax hikes. Oh, that is going to be a fun way to start the new year. Here's another one. Baby boomers feel they will outlive Medicare. (laughs) Great, that's something I have to look forward to. And then the most depressing thing here, the Iceman retireth. Chuck Liddell's retiring. I can't take it anymore. (laughs) So... (laughs) No matter where we're at, all of us in this room are feeling this pinch, this difficult pinch about money. And it's just one of those realities. Now, these three things, any therapist would say, if somebody came in and said, okay, I have a huge desire for something, I have a huge ability to take care of that desire, and I have also a less ability at the same time, I'd say, meet me next week, we need to talk. And all of us are dealing with that right now. And so that's why when I take a quarter out of my pocket or $10 and we play that game, we have that feeling. But I want to talk, I want to share with you a story of a man from the Bible who had an addiction to money. Now, I don't think any of you have addictions to money. Maybe you do. But this is a man who loves money. Let's take a look at what God wants to teach us today. 18, 18 through 27, listen to God's word. So a rich ruler asked him, This is a man who is not a ruler. He just is rich. Good teacher. Anytime someone comes to you and says, good teacher. If someone says to me, good pastor, I'm like, I know someone's going to ask me something. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice the word inherit. This man thinks he can get eternal life by inheriting it like money. And then Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because no one is good except for God alone. In other words, either I'm a teacher or I'm God, and therefore I'm good. But don't call me good teacher. What am I, God or teacher? He's really calling the guy out. And he says, well, look, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. You know, you don't need to come to me to ask this. Righteousness. And God would say the same to us today. Our way to eternal connection with God is righteousness, which all of us fall short in, and so that's why we need Christ. And so he says, the man comes back a bit of a brag. He says, and all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Yeah, right. I mean, just by saying that, he's broken one of them. He's lying. But another one he's broken here is his idol is money. And Jesus knows that that's his idol. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have your treasure. Notice the word treasure. He's using the man's language. Jesus always talks to us in our own language. Your treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, Jesus is not telling you to give away everything you own. If you were a money addict, he might. Just the same as an alcoholic. He might say, you know, you just can't touch that stuff anymore. Ever. Ever again. He's saying to this man, you can't touch that anymore. But for most of us, he's not exactly saying that. Now, when the men heard this, he became very sad. The Greek here is paralupos, which really means to deep peril in his life. Because he was a man of great wealth. He was addicted money. And now Jesus looked at him, and I believe Jesus takes him by the shoulders, and he looks deeply into his eyes, and he says, Oh, 
how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And remember, that's us. That's us. Now, he's not saying it's impossible, and I want to show you how. Now, he says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if this is just a parable, of course, no camel can go through the eye of a needle. But if this is a gate, there was a gate in Jerusalem called the needle. They called it the needle. And no camel could go through the needle. It was impossible. So Jesus is making a play on words. So really, let's reinterpret this. Jesus is not saying it's impossible. He's just saying it's pretty darn hard for that gate for the camel to go through the needle. It's not impossible. Because with, and how is it possible? Let's look at the next phrase. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Who then? And Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It's possible for camels to go through gates. And it's possible for rich people like us to enter the kingdom of God. And that's God's word to us today. So one of the things that helps me with a reality check about how much we have is to go to another country. Has anyone been to a foreign country recently? Um, I'm not talking about your in-laws. No, we're, we're actually taking a uh, trip to Tijuana as a, as a church in uh, March. And so if you, anyone wants to talk about being a part of that, we'd love to. I took 20 college kids to the Philippines in, uh, about 10 years ago. Now, the Philippines is very, very poor. And yet there are parts that are like Paso Robles, middle class, upper middle class, you know, really nice, nice places. But the one thing that was so different about the Philippines is they didn't have the same love of stuff that we do. They just didn't. They didn't have the designer jeans, the school. I know we visited this, visited. We visited this uh, school, Silliman University. And these kids, they were just so healthy. They didn't have these cars, expensive cars. They didn't have these bankrolls. They didn't have these expensive phones. They didn't have all of the true religion. They didn't have all of that. Now here's what showed me what was powerful about this. What was powerful was that the kids worshipped two times a day in the Philippines, voluntarily. The Silliman University, started by Presbyterians in 1901, the kids, 2,000 students would come to the worship place and worship twice a day, voluntarily. Thousands of kids singing like we just sang earlier. These are college kids. Now, I used to be a boarding school teacher, and we had chapel like once a week, and it was required, and it was like, you know, you, it was like asking kids to walk over glass or something just to come. It, they didn't want to be there. It was awful. But to see these kids excited about worship. And as I thought about this for our church, if we can work on this, this dynamic here, to not have us focused on mammon, to not be so worried about having less, to realize that we are the wealthiest and to just give it to God, what we might do this next year in terms of worship, I mean, this is a great church. What we might do, because Jesus said you can't have two things in your heart at once. You just can't. You can't have the love of mammon and the love of God at the same time. Now I throw myself in that same boat about the love of mammon. So, but I want to help you think about some things I'm thinking about in terms of working through this in your heart. First thing is, all of us just need to have a reality check about the role of money in our lives. So there's this uh, woman who came out on her back porch every single morning, and she would say, first thing in the morning, she'd say, praise you, Lord. And uh, she would go inside, and then the next morning she'd come out and go, praise you, Lord. She had an atheist who was her neighbor, and every morning this guy came out, and he said, you do not exist. 
just like that. And it really kind of became this, this uh, little competition. Well, one morning, the woman came up and said, praise you, Lord, and I need some groceries. And uh, the man came out and said, ah, you don't exist. Well, the next morning, she came out to say, praise you, Lord, and there were all these groceries down there. And she said, praise you, Lord, thank you for the groceries. And the guy, the atheist, said, God didn't buy you those groceries, I did. She said, praise you, Lord, and thanks for making the devil do the shopping. <laughs> so, all right. I want you to think about the role of these things. This next week, think about the role of being in this wealthy part of our world. Think about the role of, the role of mammon in your life. Think about the tendency to have less. And I want you to know that having a reality check doesn't mean it has to be bad news. Maybe you'll sit back and you'll realize a couple things, that money doesn't matter as much as you thought, that there is this huge generosity in your hearts. Look at some pictures of this country. This is a reality check for all of us. Look at 1930s. This was an actual sign, jobless men, keep going. We can't take care of our own. Imagine driving down Paso and seeing that. We don't have that. Here's another. This is a true coffee line from the 1930s. This is, I think, a church giving free coffee to people who couldn't afford coffee. Can anyone not afford coffee in here? If you can't, then come talk to me. There may be some. This is a famous picture from Life magazine. You remember this? This is an actual mother and her baby and her kid. These were people who lived in this country. So reality check may not be like this doom and gloom thing. But it may be. Maybe you'll feel the sting like that man did. That man who came to Jesus. And I want you to know that I know that he came to Christ in his life. We don't have time to unpack it, but that man comes up in the Bible again and again. Some people think it's Barnabas, but I I know who it is. It's another man who came to Christ. So that's number one. Have a reality check. Number two, God wants money to play a secondary role in our lives. He doesn't want it to be the most important thing. They did a fascinating study in Japan in the year 2006, and they found that the level of depression and anxiety and suicide in Japan was like astronomical in 2006. So they tried to figure out what was going on with Japan. The country did a study. And they found that from 2005 to 2006, Japanese people were trying to act like Americans, trying to have money and stuff be the most important thing, try to have uh, wealth. And it became this situation where they got depressed and anxious because that's what money does number one does to us. You know, the two things that used to be important for Asian countries or seniors used to be the most important thing, taking care of seniors and teamwork. Now, I'm not trying to do this country comparison thing. I just want us to realize that God wants money to play a secondary role. Let's take a look at just a quick list, very simplistic. God, number one in our lives, our family, ourself, number two, our work, our careers, our focus, if you're retired, and then money and stuff, three. I know, though, that that's too, compl- or too simplistic. Because I know that like, when we want to take care of our family, how do we do that often? We buy them a present, right? And we say to ourselves every Christmas the way I do, I love my person in this life this much. If I give them a bigger gift, that will show how much more I love them. Because the actual love language of our lives has become imbued by this power. I want you to know that I'm praying a lot about this as a pastor too. Because I want this church to be focused on the right things. And I heard about an African, true story, an African pastor came to the United States this last year, and he went to church in a different church every single Sunday from Africa. 
And he said, it was an incredible experience. Americans are amazing. But I didn't hear one sermon about heaven. In Africa, every weekend we talk about heaven. Every weekend. So this year you're going to hear some sermons about heaven from me. Because that's our focus. And the final thing is this. The final thing is this, that with us it's impossible. With us to get this power out of our lives. But it's not impossible for Jesus Christ. If there's one thing that you take away from this message, it's that I want you to take this away, that there is one force that can break through this power. And it is the force of Christ in our lives. As a man, story goes, he would get up every morning and read the newspaper. He'd read along, and one day he got this newspaper, and he saw at the top that it didn't say the date. It said the date six months ahead. What's weird? He read the paper, and then he was reading the news that happened six months in the future. He figured out he had a magic newspaper. That he could actually see what was going to happen six months ahead. He could see the stocks, where it was going to go. He could see the weather. He could see the sports scores. He could bet on teams. He had the only magic newspaper in the whole world. He could flip through this newspaper, and he could just see what was going to happen. And the man started betting. He made lots and lots and lots and lots of money. Next day, he woke up and got his newspaper looking six months ahead, and he turned the page, and there he saw a very disconcerting sight. He saw his own picture and his own obituary. It said, John Schwartz died July 2011. He was a multi-multi-millionaire, and then he died. Realized he'd spent his whole life doing this, spending his life on something that didn't matter. Now, you might get in touch with what matters through your own mortality, but I'll tell you what might help you even more, and that helps me. It isn't my own mortality that helps me figure out what's important. It's that Jesus died for me. I mean, think about Jesus could have done anything for us. He could have made every one of us a billionaire, a billionaire. So there was so much money, he could have given each of us a present every single day. But how did he show his love for us? He died for us. That's the power of Jesus Christ. And that's why we don't have to be afraid of these things. Next week, we're going to talk about how to get out of financial difficulty. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we confess to you, I confess to you, that money and stuff have played too big a role in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are bigger than these things. Lord, I thank you that you provide in ways that we don't know how. And Lord, there are people who still need your help out there today. So we ask that you would provide them a load of groceries on the back porch. Whatever it is, Lord, that you need us to do to correct our hearts in the beginning of this year, 2011, we want to do that because we want to fill this church with worshipers who don't compete in our hearts with two things, but only one thing. In Jesus' name, amen.